On this episode of the MC Podcast, we take a look back at some of our favorite call-in guests from the dairy industry, starting with our friend Dr. John Gaser from Rock River Labs. Dr. Gaser talked with Mark back on our very first episode in March about the quality of corn silage around the country. I hope you enjoy. So uh, this morning, over the phone, uh, John Gazer, Dr. John Gazer from uh, Rock River Labs is joining us, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit about some new things there at Rock River Labs, and and maybe uh, a little bit about what he's seeing out of uh, forage samples uh, this year. John, uh, thanks for for joining us. I hope things are well in uh, in Watertown today. How are you? We're we're well, dealing with a little bit of an internet outage, but happy to be in my office and, and look forward to maybe offering a little bit of what we're, we're seeing today out through the countryside. Good deal. Good deal. Hey, uh, tell us a little bit, just a, a, a kind of a, a little brief thing of two or three things that are, that are new, uh, going on at, uh, at, at Rock River Labs right now. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Forge testing laboratories have uh, a lot of different tools in the toolbox, but some of the things that, that we're working on uh, a little bit harder and, and I think are coming out to, to benefit nutritionists, dairy, and feedlots are focusing in on amino acid nutrition, fatty acid nutrition, and then also looking at multi-time point starch digestion within the rumen to get a, maybe a little bit more clear picture of, of what's happening within corn silage, corn grain, uh, and any high starch feed within the rumen. So th- those would be a few areas that we're focusing on pretty hard. Good. Is that uh, being pretty well received out in the industry? You know, it's a good question. So we've we brought something forth, not a sales pitch, but a comprehensive approach to looking at a nutrition analysis and the feedback and, uh, I guess, desire for more information to build our rations and maybe hone in, uh, in terms of precision and accuracy, a little bit more in fatty acid nutrition and amino acid nutrition and perhaps then carbohydrates metabolism has been very strong the desire is very strong for more insight and information so the, the reception has been fantastic good deal um so tell us just a, a, a again you know maybe a, a little brief summary of of some of the uh so so rock river does has has labs all over the country a, a newer lab in new york you work out in california uh, different places throughout the Midwest. Are, are you seeing any differences in, uh, in in forage quality throughout the country this year? Great question. Appreciate the opportunity to introduce Rockwell Laboratory Scope, uh, maybe just a little bit. So half of our business is on the, the soil and the agronomy side, uh, dealing with plant tissue, uh, really nutrition from, from the soil up into that, that growing plant. And then the other half of our business is in in animal nutrition, uh, more or less doing nutrition fats like on the side of your Cheerios box. Yeah. So it, it, it's a it's a fun fun business to be in. And then we have offices in New York and Ohio and two in Wisconsin, California. So that gives us an opportunity to span from east to west coast, like you mentioned before, looking at the the United States domestically. We also have a few offices in South America now, in Chile, Argentina, and Brazil. Uh, those offer us a unique perspective to look internationally and then we've uh, more recently partnered and opened an office in, in europe absolutely awesome europe. so we've, we've now got a, a global uh, global view if you will of, of what's happening a little bit in nutrition but domestically what we're seeing uh, within the united states it's interesting the western u.s uh, looks to be pretty consistent relative to prior years in terms of forage quality. They, they tend to be a little bit less in terms of quality, energy per ton of feed, 
uh, warmer growing environments, irrigation, maybe a little bit less in terms of fiber and starch availability than the upper Midwest and the Northeast where we sure. have cooler growing sure. climates that uh, seem to, to lend towards a little bit more digestible crop. But within the, the Midwest to the, the East and the Northeast and New England area, uh, we're seeing we're seeing a little bit harder grain this year, a little bit harder starch, sure, sure. Uh, particularly in our corn grain. The, the corn silage looks to be feeding pretty fantastic. Starch availability in corn silage looks fantastic, but yet for whatever reason, environment or maybe missing our harvest window or um, you know, maybe there's something, some characteristics within the grain this year. We've got a harder grain ranging from high moisture to, to cornmeal or grown corn, and that's showing up from Wisconsin uh, through south of uh, the lakes and, and out, out into Pennsylvania and New York, and that's okay. really intriguing. Okay, interesting, interesting. Good. Uh, so fiber quality, what's fiber quality look like across the board? You know, fiber quality is, is a little bit more variable depending upon the region. Uh, we're learning a lot about the environmental influence on fiber digestibility, how the dairy cow, uh, how, how the steer, how ruminants can, can really unlock fiber's potential. It looks to be kind of hanging around our long-term average. It's not catastrophically low, but nor is it exceptionally high. So yeah. not really seeing yeah. much in terms of the upper Midwest, Wisconsin through Michigan, uh, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Iowa. As we get out into New York, Pennsylvania, uh, up into Vermont, those cooler growing conditions have, have lended, again, towards better fiber digestibility. So it looks like the, the east and northeast is a little bit better quality forage, but I think that's a more of a year-over-year -year effect right. due to latitude, core growing environment. So fiber digestibility doesn't look to be you know, maybe a huge factor this year like it has been in prior years where we've had some challenges. But interestingly, with the growing environment, we've also had, it looks like a little bit dirtier feed this sure, year, and that's sure. certainly yep. been a hot topic. Yeah, dirt, dirtier as in as in toxins? Is that what you're talking about? Well, right, and, and so to mycotoxin uh, being produced from, from mold and, and fungi, that's gotten a lot of attention, and there, there are very much are greater concentrations of mycotoxin, mold-produced mycotoxin, yeah. coming from the soil, coming from the field this year in feedstuffs, but we're also recognizing bacterial contamination, Okay. and then couple that with perhaps a little bit less starch availability within the rumen, perhaps maybe a little bit greater amount of starch getting into the lower gut we're, we're creating maybe a more conducive environment to negatively impact animal health and performance so that has been a lightning rod of a topic here recently and one that we have uh, quite a bit to learn about yet good good hey hey john i i want to i want to thank you again for joining us and and taking time out of your out of your busy day uh really really appreciate you you and and your team there at at rock river labs and and just wish you guys uh, a lot of success uh in the future buddy hey I, I appreciate it thanks for calling in today yeah we appreciate those the comments and welcome to be part of it have a wonderful day hey you too john thanks all right buddy thanks bud all right bye-bye bye -bye. Our next guest is Brennan Blanc. He's an elite master's choice dealer in the state of Wisconsin. He popped in on episode 12 to talk with Mark and Lynn about the state of the dairy industry in Wisconsin and how recent events have affected it. Have a listen. Brennan, thanks for joining yep. us today. We appreciate you uh, calling in. Uh, so just to kind of tell us, you're, you're uh, one of our elite dealers and you are in southeast Wisconsin. Kind of tell us what's going on in Wisconsin today. Uh, today... Everybody's looking at the weather radar, hoping it doesn't rain again so they can get a little bit more seed in the ground. Right. Um, there's been an awful lot of that going on this spring. 
um, not, not seat on the ground, watching the radar and watching the rain. Been there, done that. Uh We, we absolutely understand that. I, you know, so I was up there last week, uh, and, uh, really, really, I was kind of surprised at how much corn was kind of in the ground and uh, a lot of guys working dirt. Yeah, we, we had a good stretch here. Um, but it's neat. It was a late stretch and basically just, yeah, kind of last week is when things kind of started, but mostly that if you're doing any kind of deep tillage, but yeah, that was tough because you're pulling up a lot of moisture, but to get the top couple inches dry, that was doable. No but, doubt. No doubt. Hey, so, uh, Lynn, Lynn is in studio with us today, uh, Brendan, and, um, we've been kind of talking about milk production. We've been talking about, uh, productivity and efficiencies and, and some of those things kind of, kind of tell us what you're seeing as far as, uh, milk production in your area or, and, and just kind of the milk market and how those things are going there. Well, the milk, Milk production, milk market has been kind of a hot topic in the neighborhood here as of late. Um, you guys probably heard the grassland dairy situation uh, beginning the first, well, back in, in April. There were about 75 farms kind of in the area that got a letter saying as of the 1st of May, we're not going to be taking your milk anymore. And you got to find someplace else to take your milk. So that was a shock to a lot of people's livelihoods. No doubt. And uh, then when it came time to try and find somebody else to take your milk, that was another shock because everybody is basically at all the milk plants are at maximum capacity. And uh, that was a struggle. Um, did did most, you have, did you have any guys directly uh, affected by that? I had probably about a half dozen farms that were impacted by that. Um, a lot of them were, yeah, I mean, kind of sitting basically saying, um, I don't know if I'm going to plant silage corn. I don't know if I'm going to have alfalfa. I don't know if there's going to be cows here. And so we kind of sat on a lot of stuff, orders, and just kind of waited and see what's going to happen. Um, most of them got pretty much all the farms. There are a few farms that didn't get picked up. Um, a lot of them got picked up very, very last minute, um, kind of like right at the end of April. There were some guys that were calling their herds, getting rid of some of the bottom end cows, thinking, I mean, partly thinking, well, if all of a sudden there's thousands of cows on the on the market even cull cows are going to be worthless so there was some calling that went on that way um a couple herds i know did sell out earlier in the month basically because they found other some other dairies that they could raise heifers for so they had another source they said well i better take advantage of that right away but uh yeah it was a it was a struggle and it didn't matter how big the farm was um pretty much everybody in everybody within this in the region um basically like they kind of drew a perimeter and said everybody in this area is getting cut off wow um the farms that did get picked up like two questions there uh the farms that did get picked up are they getting uh are they getting good milk prices or did they cut milk prices and then what was was there a was there kind of like a reason why oh this one got picked up before this one yeah um depending on the milk plant that picked them up um varied a little bit on prices um some of the ones that were that a a new appreciation got put on milk quality during this because the farms that that had good components low cell count um high quality milk were easier to pick up there there was more of a demand for that for some of the specialty cheese markets and that type of stuff sure um so those are the ones that got picked up the, the fastest okay 
And so really put a big value that basically, I think, put a new appreciation for everybody on how important milk quality is. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is very important. I mean, that's kind of what the whole industry, no matter what you're producing, quality is a big, big topic sure. in, for consumers and everybody right now. Yeah. Um, but milk price, um, some of them are getting a little bit lower price um, that they're actually, I mean, we talk about milk quality being a, a valuable thing, but yet some of these farms that got picked up, they're getting, they're not, they're now, some of the ones that didn't have the really good quality um, are getting, are not getting premiums for the quality that they have with some of these pickups. And basically they've got a six month contract with the milk plant that picked them up saying, all right, we'll carry you over for six months. If you can find somebody else to take you in six months, um, wow. great. Um, so it's not even a completely, I mean, it allows these farms to keep going, but there's still a little bit of, little bit of uncertainty there. I think by the time six months comes around, things will be kind of sorted out. Um, I know there's some milk plants, processing plants getting built that'll be up and running. That'll support a little bit more capacity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a struggle. And I mean, guys are looking at things differently. Um, I mean, some of them are like, well, I, I don't need to produce more milk. I just need to produce it as cheap as possible. And because if they don't want more milk, but it's still, I mean, you're to be the most profitable, you want to produce as much milk per cow. If you can do it, you can produce the same amount of milk with fewer cows. It's going to be more profitable too. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a lot, lot of, a lot of sweat and turmoil. No doubt. No doubt. So, so just a kind of a loaded question, Brendan, some of the farms that you're dealing with, uh, you know, maybe some of those higher quality uh, milk producing farms. What what are some of the uh, what are what are some of the uh, reasons why they were higher uh, higher quality milk? Higher quality milk most often comes down to management and attention to detail. Um, I mean, just the somatic cell kind of in particular. I mean, it's having clean cows, having comfortable cows, not overcrowding, um, good milking procedures, that, that type of stuff, the stuff that takes a little bit extra time every day. Um, but, but just shows up in a, just a healthier, yeah, healthier, healthier cow. Yeah. Healthier herd, healthier, cow. Health, health, healthier, happier cow. Yeah. And, and, uh, and better clean and, clean and, and better quality milk. Yeah. Hi, yep. Brand. Hi, Brandon. This is Lynn. How's Katie and the girls? Doing good. Good. Hey, Doing very good. You, without knowing it, you just uh, echoed uh, uh, the, the things that Mark and I've been talking about when we're looking at uh, herd efficiency and and uh, some of the things that uh, we can do to uh, to be more profitable on the farm. So uh, that was that was pretty interesting. You just uh, uh, talking about cell count, that being the, the somatic cell being kind of the indicator of of the other things that we've already done to make the herd more more efficient and effective. Oh, yeah, good. yeah. So you, you, you nailed it. You nailed it. You're hey. This means that you're as smart as Lynn and I. Almost. Oh. Congratulations. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. Good. Good for you. Right. <laughs> Great. D- 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 does my gold pin come in the mail or? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a sticker, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's in the mail. It's buddy. in the mail for sure. Right. It's in the mail for sure. <laughs> so, uh, so Brennan, we appreciate you calling in. We appreciate you sharing your information. Any, anything else that that you want to kind of kind of wrap up there with? Any other observations that you've seen uh, in your area that maybe you want to finish up with as we uh, as we conclude the call? Well, I think 
I mean, without getting too terribly off the topic, um, but I mean, one thing I, I kind of keep stressing with people, I mean, with, I mean, we, we're talking cow, cows and cow comfort and stuff here and how a healthy environment produces a healthier cow. Um, I've been kind of trying to echo that with people with their planting stuff too. And, yeah. uh, relating to soil conditions and a healthy soil, good soil condition produces a, a healthier plant and just being patient with the rain we're having not trying to mud stuff in and just say oh i got to get this in because the calendar says so and um just waiting for just like the cows produce better when they're comfortable and in a good environment um so does all the crops you're growing and so kind of trying to do some parallels there and just help guys telling them to be patient and uh try and do things the way you know is the right way to do it instead of just doing it to get it done Good deal. Good deal. There, there you go again, echoing some other thoughts that we've had uh, earlier without you even knowing it. So there, just proving once again, you're just as smart as we are. <laughs> Our listeners are going to think that we will have colluded on this before we spoke, and we absolutely did, we did not. not. We did not. Absolutely. absolutely. Hey, Brennan, thanks for, thanks for calling in. We really appreciate you calling in. We appreciate you uh, for what you do for Master's Choice and, and your knowledge, bud. So uh, you, sure. you and the family take care, and uh, we'll probably see you soon sometime. Thanks, Brennan. All right. Bye, Brandon. This interview from episode 13 of the podcast is with MC Dealer and Kansas Dairyman Roy Bessing. Roy joins Mark and Scott Harris to discuss how the non-GMO movement and consumer behavior can have an effect on the local dairies. So, hey, uh, Roy, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you uh, allowing us to speak with you. We know you've got a busy schedule and what have you, but we appreciate you calling in. Uh, we've been kind of Scott and I have been kind of talking about consumer um, uh, perspectives, kind of what consumers want, and especially when we deal with labeling, and and then how that affects uh, some of the practices that farmers have. And so, you know, a, as a producer, you as a producer, if uh, if a if a farmer or if a consumer is asking for, you know, uh, antibiotic free or non-GMO or even organic stuff. How, how does that, how does that, um, how does that change your thinking in your practices or does it at all? As far as the antibiotics, it change it would change absolutely nothing because the okay. local retreat is something that is sick or has a problem. And so it's no different than yourself. If you've got a, if you've got an issue, you're going to go to the doctor, you're going to get it taken care of. And that's, you know, good animal husbandry says, you know, you've got to take care of your animal. Sometimes that involves antibiotics. But sure. every beef that leaves the farm has to be antibiotic-free, same way with every tanker load of milk that leaves. So I can't ship anything there antibiotic-wise that, uh, that, it, that is tainted. So that would change none of my practices. Okay. So um, if, if, if consumers demanded all uh, non-GMO feed, that takes one one growing season, and you can do that. So, um, you know, it depends on what you've got in the past. The, the challenge you're going to face with a little bit of non-GMOs is weed control, in, uh, uh, especially in soybeans. Uh, corn isn't maybe quite as bad, but it can be. Um, you know, you got to use some different systems. Organic, um, there's not much organic in our area. I don't... Um, there's, there's becoming a little bit more of that, though, so I don't know. I, I honestly don't know a lot about organic. I'll just be right honest with you. No, that makes sense. I so, think they, they so, have a lot of challenges in our area, I think, with weed control, um, you know, getting enough fertility out there in those fields um, to, to be able to grow what they need to grow without growing a mess of weeds. 
Yeah. So, Roy, just to kind of so we so everybody's listening kind of has a good idea. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about your farm? You you guys do some non-GMO, is that right? Or what all are you doing? Yep. How many cows are you milking? Uh, tell us about you you so that way we kind of can give everybody else an understanding. Okay, so we have around fifteen hundred acres, and I grow uh, corn and soybeans, about some wheat and some alfalfa. Then the balance is grass and wasteland. And then um, we milk uh, 225 registered cows. Um, milk twice a day, around a 25,000 pound herd average. Um, it's me and my brother on the farm, and I'm bringing my two boys. They're coming back into the operation right now. So uh, we raise raise and feed as much of what we can grow as we possibly can. Okay. That makes sense. So kind of as far as in your area, what uh, not just on your farm, but uh, what about other farmers? Are you you know the around the around the coffee shop or wherever it is? What are you hearing them talk about in relation to these consumer trends that are going on? Is there a very hands off kind of you know they don't they don't even know what they want, or is there a frustration, or is it is there an understanding amongst farmers, or is it just a confusion all around? What would you say from the people in your area in Kansas? I guess basically. Um, kind of that that mid mid you know United States area that you're hearing. Well, we've kind of got two. I'm going to say there's kind of um, you might say two groups of farmers in my area. You got the ones that are trying to capture some non-GMO dollars. Sometimes you can get a premium for some corn and for some beans. Um, then you've got the other group of guys who, you know, the latest and greatest uh, stack traits and, and this and that and everything else. You know, they, they're pretty aggressive farmers, aggressive fertility, and, you know, they're just flat out trying to make yield so we can have bushels to sell at town. So um, that's, that's kind of the, both both sides of the thing. Um, I probably hear more what the consumer wants on the dairy side than I do on the grain side, um, you know, the, considering that. Uh, you know, if but however, if the demand is there for non-GMO crops, I think guys – Oh, you know, some would, not all would. I mean, because some guys just like the ease of, of some of the uh, uh, weed herbicide programs that you can use with certain crops, and and they don't want to go with through the extra challenges that you got to do with uh, trying to do some different different types of things. But uh, it is a big deal. I, I leave market my milk to the farmers of America, and that's always on the forefront. What do the consumers want? You know, is it this kind of milk? Is it this? Do they want? Um, you know, just it, it's always because we're always trying to sell our product because it has a sort. We can't put it in a steel bin and like leave it sit there for a year and see what happens. I mean, when it goes to market, it's got to be in the store, you know, in a short period of time, and it's got to be used in any short period of time. So <clears throat> that's where we run into issues on the dairy side. But we're always constantly looking for a market. Now that that makes a lot of sense, and and. Uh... I think I think that that probably echoes in in in, in all areas. You know, you're, you're exactly right. A, a row crop farmer he can stick his stuff in a steel bin and it sits there. But but these guys who are raising, uh, you know, beef or poultry or anything like that, you know, you can't just you can't just stick that somewhere uh, and and let it sit there for a year. And um, and so right. you you've gotta you've gotta be in touch with what the consumer wants. So, okay. So, speaking kind of further from a, has your how long have you guys 
practice the way that you do now? What made you decide to kind of start looking more um, on the non-GMO side of things? Was it a an emotional decision? Was it a was it a weed management decision? What do you and, and the other farms that are making that? I know you hit on it being a uh, financial. financial decision, but is there is there any emotion involved in that for the guys in your area, or is it all financial? Oh, I don't know if there's emotion or not. I mean, I, um, a, a big part of, of some of the genetic engineering on the crops is it's not relevant in our area most of the time. For instance, BT corn. We've proven time and time again that, you know, we just don't have that insect pressure where I live, that it's a big deal. So, um, and even as long as there's so much, most of the crops in our area are rotated. So, it's, it's very seldom corn on corn. Now, the corn on corn acres, that's a different story. You've got to do something with that. But for the most part, guys do a pretty good job of crop rotations, and we've been able to keep, you know, the bug population just really doesn't affect us that much. And we've proven with uh, side-by-sides and, and uh, test plots that some of our, uh, you know, our just plain corns can flat-out yield compared to, to some of our uh, triple stack hybrids and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I'm not saying that, that there's years that they don't have an advantage, but for the most part, I would say there's been, we've been able to raise really good yields with, with our non-GMO crops compared to, to other ones. Yeah. And oftentimes it's a, um, you know, and corn's three bucks. And if you can buy corn for, for X amount or you can buy it for twice as much of something else that's got all the bells and whistles, um, and, you, and maybe it's not going to yield very much more, then you're probably going to tend to go with the cheaper cheaper product. If corn's six or seven bucks, you can make the $400 bag of seed corn and somebody will buy it. Yeah, so sense. when it's $3, nobody will. Makes so. Hey, Roy, we appreciate you uh, calling in and, and talking to us today. We appreciate your perspective and, and, uh, and, and chit-chatting with us about that. We hope everything uh, continues to go well for your planting season. And, uh, and the rest of your growing season. So thanks, Roy. Appreciate it. Thanks, All Roy. Right. Yep, no talk problem. talk to right. you later. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MC Podcast. Be sure to check back with us next Monday for a new episode. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful day.